lately the, there has been so many much interest around the Orthodox community from secular Jewish people, from non-Jewish people, from everybody in the world. And it became apparent through the series that have been gaining tremendous popularity lately about the Orthodox community. Of course, it's been shown in the least flattening, flattering um, light, to say the least, and uh, especially, you know, where uh, the series Stitzel, which was actually created in 2013 and became super popular last year, it's not as terrible as the one that came out this year called Unorthodox. Um, and um, I look at the Facebook and I look at how my friends are reacting to it. And I'm seeing Jewish friends, uh, Jewish friends who feel very Jewish, they're not religious, and they're, they enjoy this series. They watch it, they find that they are even identifying themselves with something there. Yiddish is spoken, you know, you can see a Jewish life, and everybody's just really eating it up and enjoying it. I'll tell you the truth. I haven't seen it. I've heard, of course. Everybody's talking about it. But um, the, the word itself, orthodox, what exactly does that mean? Why do we use that word? Who invented that word? Who, uh, who stuck you with it? <laughs> Who decided to call you orthodox? It's, it's not a good word. And I think of all that I've heard about the, about the show, uh, the whole problem, the core of the problem or the negative side is the orthodoxy. In other words, in, in one sentence, the crisis in, in, in the relationship is that he was more orthodox than he was human. Yeah, kind of makes sense. The, the mitzvahs, the Jewishness, the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws and the study of the Torah and all of that became, became a project uh, that that distracted him from his from his reality from his life. Uh, children often complain about parents who were very observant that the religion was more important to them than their children. So they feel rejected. They feel uh, diminished. They feel. They feel um, criticized all the time, judged all the time by, by a standard of, of behavior. So the, these, these labels, I'm this, I'm that, that sets up an artificial objective. I have to be as orthodox as I can. That, that's not true to life. Torah is, is a, a way of life. It's a path, uh, a wisdom in life, not some project besides your life. 
So I understand the, the, the reason you're calling it orthodox, and it's good. But one of the things that you should point out is that the word itself is part of the problem. Don't be orthodox. And don't be religious. And don't be pious. Be a, be a, a Jewish human being. That's number one. Number two, in Judaism, if you're really orthodox, the other person, the the Jew next to you, is more important to you than than your own. In other words, their Jewishness is more important to you than your own. The first commandment in the Torah is make another Jew. Be fruitful and multiply. Make another Jew means give birth to another Jew. It means support another Jew when they're in trouble. It means inspire another Jew to appreciate being Jewish. Educate another Jew so that they can can be intelligent about their role and place in the universe. So in the case of of the show, the husband was really missing the point completely. And his wife's needs and her Judaism, her observance of mitzvahs, should have been his priority. That's orthodox. I mean, that's, that's living by Torah. So... You know, we're coming up to Shavuos in a couple of weeks. It's the anniversary of the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's when we became an official, in God's God's, uh, words, the chosen people with a special mission. That was 3,332 years ago. And we accepted that role or that mission. And for the last 3,332 years, uh, maybe not perfectly, but we've, we've been at it. We have remained the Jewish people, the chosen people. We can be identified. We know who we are. Everybody else knows who we are. They know where we live. They know what we do. We are not hiding. We are not denying. We're not, we're, we're not assimilated. We're not converted. We haven't given up on our mission at all. In fact, we're pretty intense about it. We're also a little confused about it. But, you know, uh, <laughs> 3,000 years later, and also very difficult years, you know, it hasn't been a picnic. And yet, despite it all, through it all, Jews remained Jews. Which means we remain loyal to the fact that we have a special mission, that we have a special uh, obligation or commitment to God, and that we're not, we're not going to give it up. 
we can mess it up. <laughs> we can mess up pretty good, but we're not giving it up. Now, in order to do that, the, 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 the mission has got to become organic. You have to breathe it. You have to live it. You have to be it. You can't practice it like a religion. A religion is an arbitrary and uh, foreign imposition. You're told to do this and you cannot do that. It goes against your personality, it goes against your nature, it goes against your instincts and, and desires. But that's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a discipline. You can't be disciplined for 3,000 years. So anyone who knows a little bit about Jewish history has got to marvel to remain loyal to something for 3,000 years it can't be a role that is imposed on you. It can't be a belief that you choose for yourself. It can't be orthodox. It has to be organic. A Jew has to be Jewish on the inside and find ways to show it on the outside. But if it's not who you are and what you are, it can't last 3,000 years. It can't last 70 years. <laughs> Communism gave it a pretty good shot. You know, pretty good. Didn't last 70 years. So I wish there was a way that we could actually make a show for the first time in the history of Hollywood that depicts Jews in, in realistic terms. Of course, they, they call this show realistic. And any, anything that shows the ugly side is the realistic one. Rabbi Friedman, you understand the purpose of what I'm trying to do right now. I do. Yeah. I'm trying to paint that picture of what... Okay, I don't like the word orthodoxy either. Uh, but we have to use it because it's accepted by the whole world. It's in the, every dictionary. And it is the issue. But how do we truly uh, tell people and really let them know what we're all about from that positive aspect? Because that show, unfortunately, both of them, they really portray unhappy, deprived, uneducated, limited, sad, controlled community. And that's not even all the adjectives that I can use to describe that show. It's negative upon negative with a lot of fun for people to watch and get some entertainment out of it. But it's not the truth. But to be, to be fair to them, or, or maybe despite their effort at showing negativity, Many people who watch those shows come away moved by the by the kindness and the decency and the 
the sincerity of the bad guys, of the guys creating all the trouble. Like this husband, who having been fed this artificial set of laws that he so sincerely tries to keep, which drives his wife crazy, but as soon as he realizes it, he's such a human, he's such a mensch. So I think a lot of people are saying, yeah, there are problems, but these guys know what they're doing. They have a life, a purpose, a devotion, an identity as a group, as a people. Most people have no identity at all. So, but, but yeah, you're right. The only place you're going to hear the truth is in talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then let's keep it up because, um, yeah, I watched it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, it was interesting because somebody else's portrayal view is always interesting to see from the side. Yeah. But I truly, truly am trying to um, express, and it's hard to do because I'm living it myself, of the happy aspect of being not orthodox jewish orthodox me, being jewish meaning orthodox but jewish meaning um with the laws with the mitzvahs with the lifestyle with the purpose with um with everything that comes along with it and i'm asking you how do we do it how do we get that point across how do we let people in and so nobody will say, um, oh, they're missionaries. They're just trying to get more people to follow or, um, you know, yeah, of course they like it. They don't know anything better, um, even though that's not my case. But still, people will say that closed off, um, controlled, whatever it is. How do you counter that? How do you truly show the beauty of what is being Jewish is. You know, it's been, it's been a habit in Hollywood to always focus on the negative. It's not just, it's not just on, on Judaism. Because, you know, the negative is more dramatic. It's more, uh, you know, you can have a car chase and you can have a murder scene. And <laughs> there's, there's this conviction that people would rather be horrified on screen than, than, than inspired. There are a few movies that are purely beautiful and positive and but it always involves a tragedy. When will we grow up and realize that we would much rather see something purely positive with no drama, with reality? We need to develop an appreciation for what is true and real not for what is complicated or, or conflicted 
or, or dangerous. That, that appeals to the negative side in us. It's like people listening to the news because they want to hear how many, how many people die today from the, from the virus. It's a little morbid. It's a little... We haven't cultivated, even for our children, we haven't cultivated this excitement, this pleasure, and this appreciation when things are just right. And then we wonder why children are not inspired. So I think the first target should be Jews. Because it's not only how others see us, it's how we see ourselves. And we can be very critical of ourselves and our fellow Jew. And we need to adjust that also. So I think the first thing is, how do we, how do we show our fellow Jews what it would be like if we were all engaged? I think it's a good word, no? Better than orthodox. If we were all engaged in, in Jewish living. And, and most Jews are. It's hard to find a Jew who isn't in some way hooked, engaged, whether it's their feelings about Israel, positive or negative, because this is my people, so how can I not be engaged? I may not like it, but I'm engaged. Worrying about anti-Semitism, of course we're engaged. But there's so much more. And the main thing is, the Torah is the wisdom that we have to offer the world. If we could see ourselves in that role, and that is our role, chosen to bring the wisdom of Torah to the world. For most of our history, the world was not really interested in hearing what we have to say. Yes, they wanted the Torah. They took it. <laughs> they took it and decided to study it themselves and come to their own conclusions. Almost like leaving out the middleman. But it's not working. If you want to know what the Torah is, you have to ask those who have lived it, not those who read it. Those who have lived it through all circumstances. So we have to embody the wisdom of Torah. We have to be modeling it, not just peddling it. <laughs> now, if all Jews were more educated in the beauty, the wisdom, the truth of, of the Torah, we would have something awesome to offer the world. And then we would fit into our role as a light to the nations or a teacher of Torah. The, um, the preservers of the truth of Torah. And I think that today, the world really wants to hear some truth. But what does truth mean? It means I'm not lying. I mean, believe me, <laughs> that's not truth. That's 
honest. But we're talking about truth with a capital T. So a quick way of describing it is, scientists have come up with some pretty impressive theory on how the world came into existence. It's not a perfect theory, it's not a complete theory, but it's pretty impressive. And because we have almost figured out how the world came into existence, we no longer need to believe in God. Have you heard that argument? As if the only reason we believed in God is because we had to explain how, how the world came into existence. Actually, most people don't care. <laughs> I don't care how the world came into existence. I, I'm not looking to create another world. I don't need to know how it happens. So that can't be the motivation for the, for the historic and global belief in a creator. The average person in the, in the Middle Ages or before that, couldn't care less how the world was created. We had some very practical, serious problems to deal with. So wh why has the belief in God always existed? And why will it always exist? And why is figuring out how the world came into existence not a conflict with the belief in God? It's a very simple uh, one-word answer. It's not how that, we are, that we're wondering about, it's why. A human being, no matter where they are, and no matter what their issues are, and particularly if they're having difficulties in life, needs to understand why life, why are we here? However we got here doesn't really interest me. I want to know why. The belief in God is not the belief in a being that is capable of creating a world. Not interested. The belief in God is the belief in an architect that made all of this the way it is for a good reason. I need to know that. Because if I don't, there will be moments that I will give up on life. If, I don't, if I'm not convinced that there is a vast eternal plan behind it all, well, then who needs it? On the other hand, if I'm not convinced that there is a vast eternal plan behind it all, I make the plan. I become the dictator. Maybe not over large segments of the globe, but in my home. I dictate. Well, why not? Somebody's got to. So if there's no vast eternal plan, I'll make one. And I'll become God. So, today, probably more than ever, we really need to know why. Why are we here? Why are we experiencing what we're experiencing? Is there a plan? Is this leading somewhere? Are we going somewhere? Because if not, then what are you worried about? To be really 
negative. Yeah, there, there's an epidemic killing people all over the world. You know, we might all die and then it'll be over. Yeah, so. So. If it's all an accident to begin with, if it's all just a process, you know, there were dinosaurs, they became extinct. They were human beings, and human beings will become extinct. What are you getting so upset about? If we're not here for a reason, then our existence is not sacred. So if it goes, it goes. Who cares? We need to know what the vast eternal plan is. It's not a philosophical or academic question. It's our very relationship with life. Torah has the answers. Torah has the wisdom. I mean, despite the impossible history that we've had, we're still here. We're still functional. We're still advancing. We're growing. What's the secret? I think everybody would like to know. So you put up a show like uh, like Stissel. <laughs> the guy's name is Stissel, right? Yeah. But it's interesting that the, the Hebrew word Stiss means idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> you pronounce it Stuss or Stiss, but it means ridiculous, stupidity. Um. I think if, if you watch the show, and you're not Jewish, and you're watching the show, uh, you know, there are people with their little struggles, with their little shtick, with their little, and you wonder, these are the people who outlasted every other nation? By doing that? <laughs> There's got to be more. You're not telling me the truth. Well, that's that what seems like people don't know the truth. It's been 3,302 years and people still don't know the truth about us and come up with all kinds of conclusions and untruths. And um, Rabbi Friedman, do you mind if I get a little personal? I try never to do that with you. <laughs> but um, what inspires you? What inspires you? I mean, if you were to relate to everybody out there right now, what makes you happy about being Jewish? Would you be able to put it into words? The awareness that everything we do is essential and meaningful to the creator of the world. Or if you want to put it in different terms, to the plan for which the world was created. Everything I do, everything I experience, is an important and um, indispensable part of this vast drama, which means I'm a player in something divine and cosmic, what I do counts. 
what I say counts. Even what I think counts. It's like when a person feels guilty, and everybody, you know, everybody has their little guilt. I did something wrong. I know it. I know it. Nobody has to tell me. I misbehaved. I did something wrong. And that affected me. That uh, reduced me. I'm feeling guilty about it. That's unhealthy. But if I realize that what I did that was wrong, that misbehavior, that brought the world, the entire creation, all of existence was brought down a notch because of my misbehavior. You would think that that would be even more depressing <laughs> and more unhealthy. No, it's not. It's, it's sobering. But it's also what gives you the strength to, to grow, to move upwards. So if, if I just see it as my personal failure, and I do it more than once, then I'm a failure. So fine. I'm, I'm a small, tiny cog in a big machine. Nobody will notice whether I fail or succeed. My success is not that important to anybody except me. So I live in a tiny little world, and I suffer in my tiny little world of guilt and of failure. I'm a loser. I'm a winner. I think I am good. I'm not good. And, and my whole existence is just deplorable. <laughs> this is it. That's it. I'm going to play around in my little box you know, feeling good, feeling bad, back and forth, up and down, and then I'm going to die and it'll be over, and that's it. That cannot be. It can't be. It's, it's a shtus. Reverend <laughs> <clears throat> Freeman, but, you know, it's what's happening right now. People are home, and they have a choice right now. Some are working very hard on bettering themselves, reinventing themselves, learning, um, making new plans. And then there are some who are waiting it out. You know, um, the sale of alcohol well went up by a lot. Um, you know. That'll keep us financially afloat. <laughs> you know, Netflix is doing good. Um, you know, um, in internet, a lot of action there. So people are entertaining themselves, waiting it out. Not too many people want to go back to work uh, because unemployment is paying well, you know, and they can still. So I feel like um, there's always this choice. You know, there are those that you have just described. Um, who, uh, of course, you know, is about doing, improving, m mattering, meaning, something, all of those things. But those things for 3,302 years have made us very, very unhappy. Or at least that would seem this way to the outside world who is about drinking Netflix, um, going out, clubbing, and, and yeah, how how do you explain that, no, this is where the happiness is, not there. 
it's a big argument. But it's not a difficult one. I think uh, most people just beneath the surface will quickly admit clubbing, drinking, <laughs> that's an escape from life. That's not life. I think we've, we've talked about this on your show before, I think, that the definition of a human being is a creature that is created human, but is never content to be just human. A human being is not content being human. That's just our nature. So if we feel that we are just human, we start to spiral downward. It doesn't nurture our soul. It doesn't feed us. It doesn't inspire. If I'm just human, a good human, a nice human, it's depressing to the human spirit because either you go up or you go down. When we do do something divine, more than human, that, that enables us to overcome any problem. It makes us feel like, yes, yes, this is what it's all about. And that, that is an important experience these days because most people just can't really say what it's all about. You have those commercials, you know, it, the good life. It don't get any better than this. And what is this? Sitting at the beach with a bag of potato chips. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> Nobody's buying it. And if they do claim that that's their philosophy, they're lying to themselves. So... In answer to the personal question, if you know that there is a divine purpose, if in fact there is a God who created the world with a vision, with a, with a goal, with an objective, with a purpose, being God, he is a pretty good creator uh, with attention to detail, nothing overlooked, Nothing unnecessary. So every detail in the world, in terms of existence, every event in history, every time a leaf moved from one place to another, every time the, the, um, the electron ran around the neutron or the sun rose and set, every time... Every movement, every event, every change was designed, purposeful, intentional, and meaningful. Now God gives you the Torah and says, partner with me. Everything you do, everything you say, and everything you think will either further my plan, improve and, and perfect the world, or you're going to drag it down. And then that will have to be repaired before we can continue on. Now, even if I fail, even if I mess up, 
it doesn't, I don't give up because I know that I've messed up the universe. Can't give up on the universe. I can give up on myself. So if I think I messed myself up more than once, it seems like I'm just a loser. Might as well admit it and give it up. Not if you're affecting the whole world. Not if God himself is depending on you to do your share of his plan. So that is inspiring. That gives you staying power. You're not quitting. You're not going anywhere. This is an awesome cosmic identity that you have. You can't hide from it. You can't run from it. So your only option is to succeed at it. And with all due humility, I think the Jewish people have done a magnificent job. Reverend Friedman, now, how do we take everything you just said and make it commercial so people buy it? <laughs> make them an offer. <laughs> buy two, get one for free. <coughs> The best, the best recommendation or suggestion is take a mitzvah, any one of the 613 commandments in the Torah, and, and practice it. Do it. Commit yourself to doing this one mitzvah and see what it does for your soul, for who you are. It won't make you more religious. It'll ground you in, in who you are. And what does it mean, who you are? Remember that commercial? Uh, only his hairdresser knows for sure. You want to know who you are? Ask your therapist. He's got you all figured out. That's not what we're talking about. I don't want to know what my psychological makeup is or my, my strengths and weaknesses. I want to know who I am means I want to know what I am here for. That's who I am. The purpose for which I exist is the real me. I can fail at it, but then I'm failing to be me. So take a mitzvah and do it and see if that doesn't um, complement your existence, who you are, your identity, your purpose, the reason you wake up in the morning. So for men, tillin, the bar mitzvah mitzvah, the mitzvah that is introduced first at your bar mitzvah. Put on tulin. Get a pair. You got plenty of time these days. <laughs> you don't need a congregation. You don't need a rabbi. You don't need anyone uh, except maybe show you how to do it. Get a pair of tulin and put them on every day, every weekday. 
What that will do for your soul, you will discover on your own. And you will realize, yes, this is more than human. This is in the service of the divine appetite. And when I do something a little more than human, ironically, when I do something more than human, that's when I feel like a mensch. Because the nature of a human being is that he needs to be something more than human. Um, what about for those who are not Jewish? Or for women, because women don't, don't have the mitzvah of putting on tefillin. Light a Shabbos candle at the right time every Friday and put a few coins into a charity box, into a pushka. It is awesome what that can do for you. Because truth doesn't have to be large to be impressive. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be life and death. True is true. And in its own quiet, still voice, the truth is powerful. And for non-Jews, the one thing we all have in common, all human beings need to feel like they're doing something more than human. And that's why being a nice person is not nearly enough. It's fragile. You're a nice person until you have a bad experience and then you go nasty. Too fragile. And not enough to inspire you every morning to a meaningful day. The ability to, to do for others, going beyond yourself, looking beyond yourself, even in your marriage, like in in, in the shtisel and in the uh, unorthodox pro shows. Wrapped up in yourself, in your own religiosity, it's toxic. You'll choke on it. It diminishes you. It, it cramps your life. It doesn't, it doesn't give it meaning. Look at the person next to you. Right next to you, you're married to her. That's where your, where your concern and devotion should be. Or as we've spoken before, stop being needy and recognize how needed you are. So we're all here for the same purpose, to fulfill God's plan. Everything we do is cosmic in its effect. We know this from a little virus. You release it in one end of the world, it will reach the other end of the world. So everything we do is universal. It's, 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 it affects everything, including the Creator. Now, when the Creator is happy with his creation, Positive things are, are going to happen. When the, when the creator is not happy with his creation, things go a little sour. So just knowing that, 
knowing that you need to be something more than human, knowing that the creator is deeply invested in every detail of his creation, including you, including everything you do in a given day, that's got to give elegance to your, to your life, to your existence. All of a sudden, there's nothing petty about you. Thinking positive, which nobody is going to know. Nobody can read your mind. But if you think positive, you enhance the entire universe. You think negative, you dampen the whole universe because you're an, in, um, an indisposable part of the universe. What happens to you happens. Everyone so, has a question at this point. How do you think positively when bad things are happening? First of all, we've had enough experiences, every one of us, where we embarrassed ourselves by thinking negative when in fact nothing negative was happening. We jumped to conclusions, we were, we were myopic, and a short while later, we discovered that we had no reason for the negativity. Come on, we've had all sorts of experiences. But then people can say, yeah, well, I embarrassed myself by, by thinking positive also. There were occasions where something happened, I said, no, that's fine, it's fine. It turned out to be, no, it wasn't fine, it was a disaster, right? But even if you were wrong in terms of outcome, you thought it was okay and it was positive and you were optimistic and it turned out that things didn't end up very well, you've got nothing to be ashamed of. Thinking positive is in itself a positive thing. It's not prophecy. Nobody expects you to be a prophet. If you're a prophet and your prophecy doesn't come out, doesn't, doesn't turn out, well, then you're a failure. We're not being prophets. We're choosing life. You choose to think positive because positive is positive. But if you were thinking negative and it turned out that it, that was not the case, that's embarrassing. You dragged yourself down and the people around you. You introduced this negativity, and it wasn't even necessary. So where does positive thinking come from? A very simple, uh, a very simple equation. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't run the world. I didn't create the world. Whatever happens in the world, not really my problem. So whose problem is it? The creator, the infinite, eternal, almighty creator of the universe who is deeply invested in, uh, in, in the welfare of his creation. 
So if I think something bad is going to happen, what do I know? And if God is the involved, committed, concerned creator, he'll take care of it. Why would he create the world and let it fall apart? So there's reason to be optimistic. There's reason to, uh, to expect life to flourish, not death, because somebody has got a vested interest. And that somebody can make everything go right. So there's this little sign I saw in a, in a, in a Girl Scout camp. It said, wisdom is seeing a beautiful sunset and knowing who to thank. It's not important to know how the sun sets. Scientists, physicists, let them figure it out. It's not everybody's concern. But when you see a beautiful sunset, it's why it's happening, not how it's happening. Why does this happen? Who is behind this? What is the meaningfulness of this? Who should I thank for this? That is a very relevant, urgent, necessary question. Because if you don't know who to thank for your life, then what is your life? Right? So the same is true with the negative. The reason I can be confident and I can be optimistic about the future, I know who to thank when I see a beautiful sunset. And I know who to rely on, who to lean on when the sun fails to set. Or rise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, this was always, as always, very insightful and um, fantastic and fun for me, for sure. <laughs> and um, I just want to share something before we uh, say goodbye. It's also, um, what you said is, yes, we do have knowledge. We do have knowledge of how to live, of how to live properly. And we definitely want to share that knowledge with others. And that knowledge is actually being shared already out there um, in, in bits and pieces through Tony Robbins's and through Louisa Hayes and through tons of self-help books who take the um, information from the teachings of Tanya of Kabbalah. And out of context, put it out there, and it works. It works not as good as it works when you know it completely, fully, and you don't take things out of context. So I want to personally thank you, because during this quarantine time, my family took the Tanya challenge, which means that every day we do a chapter of your um, teachings of the Tanya that people can find on uh, Chabad.org. And then we have a beautiful Shabbos where we can share who got what out of it because it's very, very personal. And that makes our Shabbos is very special, very interesting, and very entertaining, and of oh. course, meaningful. Thank you. A, so, practical, a practical example 
thousands of years ago, Judaism made it a rule, an obligation, a commandment in life. When you wake up in the morning after sleeping, you must wash your hands before you do anything else, particularly before you rub your eyes or pick your nose or transfer whatever toxins accumulated at night to the interior of your body. We knew that 2,000 years ago. Every time you, you come out of the bathroom, you must wash your hands. It's a Jewish ritual. And we do it in a particular way. Uh, there's a blessing made over it. It's a commandment in Jewish life. For that alone, just for that alone, you know how many lives that can save? How much illness that can prevent? Just. Well, why call it orthodox? Just wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi Friedman, thank you so much. Um, Again, um, thank you for all the teachings that you do online. I strongly recommend people to go to your uh, YouTube channel, uh, Manus Friedman. Uh, it's good to know that org is a fantastic place to visit. And um, I learn uh, with you pretty much daily on Chabad.org and everywhere I can find it. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for um, coming on our radio and for sharing your wisdom. And I hope that maybe um, if you're okay with that, the next show we'll do will be 100% about the rabbit because I think he is the most inspirational for a lot of people when it comes to um, what being Jewish is all about and what about being Jewish and doing for the world is. So I hope we'll have, we can dedicate a whole show, which will of course not even scratch the surface. <laughs> Fits perfectly. He's the, he's the Russian rabbi. <laughs> Thank you so much again for your time, your wisdom and for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.